hit it. Welcome to the Unforgiving 60 with your hosts, Ben Pronk and Tim Curtis. As two ex-SAS guys armed with MBAs, Ben and Tim seek out people leading lives less ordinary and talk with them about how they fill their unforgiving minutes and what helps them go always a little further. Like intellectual bowerbirds, we aim to collect shiny little objects of knowledge that we think can help build better humans. Welcome to the Unforgiving 60 podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Tim Curtis. Yep, and I'm Ben Pronk. And we are joined today Mm -hmm. by um, one of our our favourite guests and a a good friend of both of ours, Mark Wales. And you thought it was for the third time. In reality, it was only the second time. Yeah, it felt like three times. (laughs) A little bit of Mark goes a long way. And there's a a big bit of Mark. (laughs) There's a big bit of Mark. He's on 1.5 times. Yeah, yeah. No, we we love chatting with Mark inside and outside of the podcast. Um, But we're particularly excited this time to talk to him because he is fresh off a big win. Yes, on Survivor Blood and Water, where he took home the cash, $500,000, a half brick. Half a brick, and also had to sort of say goodbye to his wife halfway through. Yeah. Yeah, well, this one was a bit unusual in that it was a partner event. Mm. And so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the strategy, the tactics, and the idols. We also live streamed this on Instagram. You can pick that up on our Instagram profile at unforgiving60. But we talk about many other things. Where is he now in the Cal Kill Capture journey? Mm. How have jacket sales changed since the end of Survivor? Since global warming? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> is he more famous? Yeah. He apparently is getting invites to all these red carpet events. My brother Dan got recognised at a kebab shop at three in the morning from <laughs> from his um, reality TV ventures. So we'll, we'll have to pick Mark's brain as to whether he's getting stopped in the streets. I've never been recognised at a kebab shop except for the kebab shop owner. <laughs> Welcome back, <laughs> Mr. Curtis. <laughs> Your usual. The usual. <laughs> Double me with the lot. Uh, yeah, no, so we, we won't talk a lot about kebabs, but we will talk a lot about... Um, a whole bunch of things with Mark and probably have a few laughs along the way. Absolutely. Well, let's get on with the show. And welcome to the Unforgiving 60 podcast. I'm Tim Curtis with my co-host, Ben Pronk. G'day, Tim. And for the second time in the studio, Mark Wales. Welcome. Good to be back. Third. <laughs> Good to be back. Third time? Three-peat. No. Uh, I thought it was number two. I thought it was a sequel. You're Didn't seeing, we do zombie apocalypse? Double. Was that the first? I was absent for the for the apocalypse. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. We, we, I was judged we, in absentia. Backstabbed <laughs> you in Sentence. absentia. Um, but I'll tell you what, it is the first time we're doing is... Am I pronouncing this right? Live stream. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the audiences on Instagram. We're going out simultaneously. This is a double header through the Unforgiving 60. So the the six followers for the Unforgiving 60 (laughs) Instagram account, but also the 11 billion followers for our guest this week, Mark Wales. Mark Wales for the second time. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. A couple of extra followers from Survivor. So welcome to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's get to that in a little while. But more importantly, in the first episode, we explained to you that you were killed off in the zombie <laughs> exactly. apocalypse for wearing a leather jacket in Samoa. That wasn't going to be very helpful. But it turns out we were wrong because you're wrong. you wore a leather jacket. Was it the same one, by the way? It was the same one. No, it was, no. A, it was an upgun version, second time around. T- tell, <laughs> tell our audience, tell, tell our six, six followers. Um, wasn't you? You had zero zero one, didn't you? The, the original, I had the original one. Like, and how did that it I built way back? Yeah, and that actually held up all right on uh, Samoa. 
but then you left it in an overhead baggage locker or no, something? No, I've still got it. Oh, you still got I've it? still got the original one. It was like the one after that that was kangaroo that I lost. But um, the one I wore on this season was a new a newbie, got a slightly bigger slightly bigger fit, kangaroo. Is that because and, you're slightly uh, slightly round around I, the girth? Or? I knew I needed to uh, to upgun myself for the <laughs> for the long haul, and uh, yeah, so I wore that one, and it was perfect. Good to have another leather jacket out there. It was, I, I nearly went down every time I went to travel council because it was hot as shit when I was out there. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But it worked. It worked. You come back with the trophy. Got stab proof panels in the back, <laughs> in the side of it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, how was the Survivor experience? Oh, it was mad. I, I went in not expecting much because I'd had the game. You get it pulled out from under your feet. You know, pretty much everyone gets voted out at some point. And so this time, Sam and I were like, all right, if we go in, just go and assume we're, we're not going to not going to win anything uh, and not going to get to the end, and that's fine. Just play hard. We'll mm-hmm. do what we can. And then the further we went in, we're like, oh, we're actually in a pretty good spot here. And then we kept going, and then we got a couple of idols, and then I stumbled through, and then I'm like, actually, the end is kind of right there in sight. And just got through those last couple of hurdles, and then was at the end. I was mm. like, holy shit. So it was Survivor Blood and Water where you went yeah. on. Everyone went on yeah. as a couple. Uh, you and Sam went on, but yep. there were others that were brothers. Do you reckon it was harder to go on with your partner than it would have been to go on with a brother or a sister? I think it's easier. If you want to go further in the game, it's easier. Because you got someone you can trust, mm-hmm. but if you want to just play, it can be a bit more complicating. If you just want to play by yourself, you can do all sorts of weird shit. But if you're playing with your partner, you got to factor that in because people can get revenge on you by targeting <laughs> your partner, mm. which I did to quite a few people. <laughs> so. And and are you able just to stop to air gap that from your subsequent married life? I mean, is it sort of not entirely? I was going to say because there's <laughs> the shit that goes down, and there's obviously speculation about. Oh, gee, Mark's going to cop it when he gets home at at certain points. Um, did you cop it when you got oh, home? Absolutely. Yeah. And there are certain things they just can't they can't show any context. They just show a conversation. And that's that's it. There's no there's nothing mm. else attached to it. But they're always the best conversation. They don't show you. To, being nice and polite to each other and talking about the gardening. They show the arguments. And so we, yeah. we had that. And um, Reminds but, me of David Brent in the office, you know. They don't show a bloke being a good bloke for 20 years. They show it when he headbutts an intern. Yeah. So, so yeah, we, we had the headbutt shown. And, uh, but it makes for better TV and, yeah, I, I thought it was good. Is it true to form? I mean, we all know it's produced content, but is it as difficult as it's portrayed is it manufactured in some way? We get what we get what the producers want us to see. There's not but how much, true to form is it? There's not much that's manufactured. It's um the the, the food, the lack of food is real. The uh, conditions are real, and they don't in- interfere at all. So when you're out there, no one from the crew talks to you. The only person that talks to you is Jonathan that runs the show. Mm-hmm. So it feels it feels very much like a scenario when you're in it. And as you go further into it, it feels more and more real. Mm. And they don't, <clears throat> excuse me, they don't ever break down that, that fourth wall at all. They're just like chatting to you the whole time. Are you ever tempted to do a, a Jim Carrey style piece to camera? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, someone talk to me <laughs> make this more real. Yeah. And I mean, after a while, you don't want them to. You're like, yeah, we just want to stick in this scenario. Do, do you ever actually forget that the cameras aren't there? I mean, you see a lot of stuff on reality TV where you think, why, why would you say that? Surely you know that. But do, do you forget? You get oh, so you immersed? forget. And yeah. you, you also don't care. You get to the point where you don't care what you're saying because mm. you're, you're, you're sick of it. And, yeah. yeah. And how does it compare with SA selection? I mean, you told us before we walked in the studio, you lost 17 kilograms. 17, right? Yeah. So, I mean, what's the physical and the mental comparison between SA selection and, and Survivor? Selection, you're working, the intensity is so high because you're working your ass off the whole time. But with Survivor, you're only doing physical work at select moments. Whereas on selection, that's all you're doing. So I feel like it was, um, it's it's a slower burn, but over time, when you're not eating, it's like six weeks without eating much. Whereas what's, what's selection, like three, just under three weeks? Yeah, yeah. So it is slightly different, but you're, um, by the end, mentally, it is it does start to break you down. You, you're starting to get pretty mm. exhausted by the end. 
I'll give you the big tip. You don't get half a million bucks if you pass select. <laughs> <laughs> you get told you're barely worthy. <laughs> you get self-esteem issues at the end of selection. <laughs> well, you don't even get a pass fail. You're just suitable for further training with the SAS regiment. <laughs> with these caveats, one, two, three. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like it keeps you very grounded, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's good. It's good humility There's stuff. certainly no tickets to the F1 when you finish selection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what about that? I mean, what about the fringe off the back of Survivor? Has life been busy for you has it been crazy with media and not, social not really there's like a you do a full day of media I did a full day after and the same thing happened the first time I played uh, did basically a full day of media this time same thing again and then a few podcasts after but that's it, it it's, it's kind of no real dramatic change and there's a bit more because you get more publicity you get a bit more work you know I'm self does it sort of dwindle down you get you know mainstream TV and then some popular podcasts oh, yeah. and then before you know it you end up then the unforgiving 60 <laughs> before you know it you're on Christian radio in Newcastle <laughs> like begging for attention <laughs> I reckon Christian radio Newcastle and then the unforgiving 60 that's it this is the last stop on the line <laughs> yeah. oh, fantastic Um, talk to us about the trappings of um, reality TV fame. Do you get recognised with, with great frequency? <clears throat> um, funnily enough, it's not that often. It's always in supermarkets. Yeah, right. Woolly staff have a real thing. They all come out and say good day. And all the uh, airplane staff, if you travel, on a, you're on a plane, they'll all come down right. and say hello. Yeah, because yep. they love the series. Um, <clears throat> well, and possibly also you're in a captive audience there. They can... You know, if you walk oh, past yeah. you on the streets, like, exactly. Is that yeah. that guy? And then, but they know. Like, they can circle like, back. Well, and like, He's not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, that's the only time. But I, I, I enjoy it because it, it's it lasts for five minutes. People, it's not about you. People want to know about the show most mm. often, and it's always kids as well that are that always that's love good. the show and family. So I, I don't mind talking about. It. I love it. One of the really nasty parts from Survivor was the amount of trash talking on social media, yeah. particularly directed yeah. towards Sam. Yeah. How did you guys address that? Um, Sam did some posts on it, but I'm like, it's if you put yourself in the public arena like this, the first time we played, we weren't controversial characters. This time we were because we lasted longer. And so you're always going to get grief with that. But I I just didn't really buy into it. I got it, I got the shits at one point, and I'm like, all right, no more. I'm not going to read it. And um, so, but, but everyone <clears throat> says that, just don't read it. But It's hard. How hard would it be? It <laughs> it's must like, don't be look hard. at the car crash that's about to happen. Of course, <laughs> yeah. you're going to look at it. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I still read it, but I just – I say most of the people that are t- – like, who has time to go on social media and shit talk people? I, mm. Like, that says something – it says more about you than it does about, you know, what yeah, they're yeah. talking about. By you, I mean th- them. Them, yeah. Um, and a lot of it is me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. I thought you had some dummy accounts going. <laughs> no, I'm not very active on social media. Yeah, it's just a – it's like you can't – the point is, you, you can't believe the good because if you believe the good, then you have to believe the bad. That's interesting. So you have to like ignore a lot of what's said on social media because most of the time it won't be stuff that you want to hear or be other mm. random shit. But there's a silent majority that don't say anything and they just watch the show and love it, and that's that's fine. That's cool. Yeah. Mm. And look, I I don't know. Maybe I'll throw a caveat on that in terms of the you don't believe the good. I, I mean, we haven't received. I mean, we're, we're far less high profile, but even just from the book and the podcast and that, uh, we haven't received much negative stuff. We've actually received and love to receive uh, constructive criticism when we've had a few of those. Um, but it is awesome when people write in and say, hey, seeing that, hearing that, reading that, yep. um, that helped me or it came at a good time for me or whatever. And I choose to believe that good. I, I like that sort of stuff. And, and there must be stuff. You talk about kids and, you yep. know, in, in that kind of role model capacity. That That's yep. pretty cool. I, I, it's the same thing with the with the book. I get much more. I get many more people writing and saying, "This helped me." <laughs> like, <laughs> I'd actually I'm just thinking about the, the Northbridge bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this helped me understand what I want to do when I'm 15. <laughs> what was the Northbridge? We're bit? not going to do a spoiler alert here for a whole bunch of reasons. But if you haven't read Mark's book, um, Survivor, in all seriousness, we wholeheartedly recommend it. It is mm. a cracking read, but also from my perspective, an awesome, like a really for me accurate reflection of. 
the trajectory of the Australian special operations experience in mm, Afghanistan, yep. I reckon. Yep. Um, good, bad, and ugly. Yep. And, and I think that will help a lot of people yeah. in that context. And I think the difference is, is, is when you do a book like that, you you control the kind of the narrative arc much better. If you're doing reality TV, it's their show. Like they pay for it, they run yep. it, they edit it. They own it. It's entirely what they want to show. Mm. So that's always been my take is like if you want to tell tell a story, don't post about it. Go on it. Go and get an op-ed written. Go and write a book about it. Do something that's actually it's not a Macca's version of it. It's a it's a steak and potatoes version of what you want to say. Because mm. if it's something smaller than that, it's just it ends up being garbage. Yeah. Well, what about being an author? How has the author's journey gone on reflection? Books published now. Yeah, it was about a year ago. It was published. I think it was a, it was a story that I always wanted to talk about because all the stuff we went through over there is it's super interesting. A lot of people don't want to go back and rake through it again, but mm. I, I really wanted to. I wanted to because I thought it would help not just me but a lot of people as well. Um, but it was mostly selfish. Like I wanted that was a story I just wanted to tell because I thought it was a good story. Mm. Um, but I'm really glad I did it. I feel like it's one of those boxes that if I hadn't ticked, I'd f- sit there when I was 80 and think, oh, I could have done that. Mm. But I was too worried about what people were going to think or, or write. Or, and what, so I'm glad I did it. What have people thought? I mean, Tim was just reflecting sort of post-Anzac Day. We're worried. Well, worried's probably the wrong word, but we're conscious that doing things like our book, like this podcast, um, that, you know, you, you don't want to prostitute the brand. You, you don't want to sort of be seen to be making money off uh, the SAS regiment, the name and, and the blokes and all that sort of stuff. But... Uh, we do think that there's parts of our experience that can benefit others and hopefully have, have presented it that way. I certainly believe yours is a very humble retelling of, of your experiences, but have you had any negative backlash on it? No, I think there's been a couple that have said, you know, this is, you know, we're all about humility and this is not humility. And I'm like, you're kind of missing the point. Mm. Um, and I think the issues happen for us because we, we, you attach so much value to what people think about you when you're in the regiment. And, and your reputation <clears throat> is what is distinguishing. If you're in the military, you can't, like, earn more money. If you're in the corporate sector, that's that's one of the ways that people get ranked. But in the military, your reputation is kind of how you're ranked, and you want to protect that. But when you leave, you realize it doesn't really matter. What matters is whether you can bring uh, value to people and whether you can help. And so I, I think it wasn't until I stopped caring about what people thought that I actually started doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even just Survivor and writing a book and all that. If I hadn't have done those things because I was worried about what people were going to think, I would really regret it. I think it's it's silly not to do it. You know you're going to cop criticism, but it, I think it's if you know it's the right thing to do, just do it. There's a lovely post that you um, made on Anzac Day meeting uh, Lee Lock. Lee, yeah. Mm. Can, can you tell us a bit about Matt and the importance of reconnecting with Lee? Yeah, it was, it was crazy because I was at the dawn service in Perth. Uh, I was with Simon Robinson. He was about to leave. I'm like, oh, I'll just go through the garden because I had Harry with me. I'm like, I'll mm. go through the garden and have a quick look. It's a remembrance Garden in Perth. I haven't been through there since forever, like mm. 10 years ago maybe. Walked in there and Lee Locke was at the end of the thing just with um, some of her nieces. And I was like, it was really cool to see her. Last time I'd seen her was, oh, it would have been 10 years ago. And I'd spoken to her a couple of times since, but not that much. And so to see her there, you know, it's a remembrance garden. Matt's, you know... Her husband, who died, his his remembrance stone is there. It was it was actually really cool. And mm. of course, the context for for those who maybe haven't read the book, um, Matlock, uh, an amazing um, SAS patrol commander, killed in Afghanistan two thousand seven. Um, and Mark was his troop commander at the time, and very close to the incident. So clearly, a, a really poignant sort yeah. of um, a reunion at that time. Yeah, and like of Harry, my son, his middle name is is Lock, named after. Mm. after Matlock. Mm. So so to me, to do all that, to go through all that and to meet her again on Anzac Day just kind of randomly was, was a cool, it was really cool, mm. yeah, cool event. What does Anzac Day mean to you these days? It's a tough one because I'm not super sentimental and I don't mm. look backwards. I look backwards a bit but not, I don't have that whole, I think we celebrate, I think we have that war pornography thing a bit too mm-hmm. much. I don't love the way it's celebrated in Australia. I think it's been, I think with good intentions, people have over-indexed on, on how we, we look at Anzac Day. But I'm always kind of thinking forward, like how do we 
this this could happen again. It happens every generation to Australia. World War One, Boer War before that, World War Two, Korea, mm. and then the Vietnam, then our era. So every generation you get some major war. So I was like, how do we make sure this? If we do go and fight, it's got to be worth fighting for. It can't be some random kind of adventure. It's got to be something serious. Yeah, and I guess careful what you wish for. I mean, you, oh. you could argue that since World War Two, it has been discretionary commitments, and I think a lot of the confusion yeah. about our deployment to Afghanistan was based on the fact that <laughs> you could argue, and, and Mark, you have argued in, in editorial pieces that there was no strategy driving it. But shit, when you look at the region, you look what Putin's just done in the Ukraine, oh, Yeah, this re-emergence of state-on-state conflict Ugh. is almost baffling. I, I kind of... Well, we spent our entire military careers in this post Fukuyama, post Cold yeah. War end yeah. of history. You know, there wasn't going the to peace, be. The yeah, exactly. We we yeah. progressed past that. We'd globalized, and we got to this point where you know, yeah, maybe we'd do some insurgencies and stuff. But you know, states didn't fight each other <laughs> anymore. Just did and, the little stuff. Yeah, yeah, but geez, careful what you wish for. It's mm. funny because they this argument keeps coming up as oh no, it, it's different now. But the more you see, like, have we changed that much, or are we still? the animals we were, you know, 70 years ago. I mm. think there's a bit of both. I think we we have the capacity to regress um, to that point. So, yeah, you've got to be ready for it. Listening to Kim Beasley, the governor of WA, on Anzac Day at the dawn service, he talked about the need Mm. for us to have a harder edge. Mm. And later, um, talking to him, he said, "Wait till I'm finished as governor. It's it's going to become even more, um, you know, of a conversation." What What are you guys' thoughts on that? Does Australia need to have a capability to project and target, um, you know, this sort of defence in depth principle that's always governed our white papers? I, I don't know. I, I have long thought that the kind of threats we're likely to face, and I think increasingly likely to face, are probably not the kind of threats that, um, you know, next generation submarines or fighters are, are going to be able to deter. Mm. Um, so I definitely think we need a harder edge. Um, but I I don't know. I'm not very imaginative, but I can't see an adversary trying to bridge the sea air gap. Like, I, I don't think logistically that that's going to be particularly feasible but my goodness there's a lot of other ways they can hurt us and and that sea air gap that works defensively in our favor uh combined with the lack of australian manufacturing and industry and all that sort of stuff means that we're pretty screwed if we can't get stuff across that sea air gap Mm -hmm. as well and so denial of that um i think cyber is a massive one hybrid threat all of these concepts where states may be able to conduct um, offensive actions short of a military threshold mm. um, that could be really damaging to us. That's the kind of um, uh, sort of uh, attack that that I guess I'm most concerned about, mm-hmm. and that yeah, I, I think we do need to invest in defences against. Yeah, it's crazy. I think you need like the mix of the hardcore pillars of uh, long range strike capabilities, which are always expensive and always take decades to implement and then you need this whole suite of high volume low quality targeting stuff which is kind of asymmetric the Mm. whole drones and uh you know shoulder fired missiles for aircraft and tank like you need a mix of all those things because you got one that's really high end high cost takes ages to get the other can be more reactive and you can bring in all the technology that's available on the day you see like the ukraines are doing this really well and they're um they're bringing all this off the shelf stuff drones that just carry, you know, random bombs. Like that's super inexpensive and can destroy million dollar vehicles and isn't right that away. Funny seeing. I mean, you look even just from Fallujah to Mariupol, the evolution of well, the the 
devolution of the effectiveness of armoured capability. Oh, I mean, tanks won concerning. Fallujah. You, yep. you read these op-eds about ex-Marines who said, you know, those things were mobile pillboxes like they were in World War Two, and, and they gave us that foot on the ground. And, you know, when you've got, so much, and I forget the acronym, the British Next Generation Light Anti-Armoured Weapon, um, basically 20-metre arming distance and can kill a modern Abrams-equivalent main battle wow. tank. Mm. Um, it's game-changing. Mm. Mm. Let's talk about something else that you've shown a bit of emotion about in the recent past, parenting. Let's talk <laughs> Harry. Yeah. How's, how's that little piece of your family puzzle going? And Harry's, he's, Harry's four now. Uh, he's over here in WA. It's a weird thing watching kids grow up because now at the point where you can, I can like interact with him, engage with him. He talks, you know, talks back. It's it's really it's a really cool part of pairing is watching him grow up, and it's probably the hardest thing I've done. It's it's easily the most rewarding thing I've done too. Mm. And you were very emotional having to leave him to go on Survivor. Oh. In fact, that, there were some that criticised you and oh, Sam yeah. from it was, leaving Harry. But it was you, hard. Talk about that. So Sam and I, we knew we were going to have to leave Harry. If we both played, we were going to have to leave Harry with our in-laws. We kind of thought uh, one of us would probably get kicked out before the merge, which means you're back within four weeks. Um, we both made the halfway point. In Survivor, the merge is the halfway point. Mm-hmm. We both made it. We knew we were going to be away for nearly eight weeks. So yeah, it was a long stretch. It was a long stretch without the, the young fella. And... Um, it's part of the reason we played as viciously as we did because we're like, if we're, well, if we're leaving him behind, then we've got to mm-hmm. make it work. You got to make it work. And I didn't have that first time I played. I was just a random, you know, working in New York sort of person. And well, clearly you didn't have Harry because <laughs> exactly. you met his mother the first time you played. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Just a minor point. <laughs> <laughs> no time travel. Well, what do you hope for him now that? You know, you've seen arguably some of the worst the world can deliver in Afghanistan and experience some trauma Survivor. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 you've had to have the Kevlar plates in the back of your kill capture jacket. I mean, what do you hope for him? How, what it's philosophy a, of parenting you're embracing to... Yeah, I think the main thing is, is I, don't, I don't care what he does, as long as he is excited by it and wants to do it to the best of his ability, hmm. whether it's soldiering or... He's a hairdresser or a dancer in New York. I don't care what he does, as long as he's he loves it and he's good at it. Like that's the main thing. Mm. Um, I get asked all the time when I do keynotes, "Would you be happy with him going to the army?" And I'm like, "Once upon a time, I would have said yes, but now I'm like, I don't think people understand what they're doing when they use armies for force. Mm. If you look at over the last kind of mm. fifty years in Australia, they haven't done a good job with how they've committed young people to go and fight and but, the return even- we've got from it." Okay, so even as a product of that, um, do you regret being in the army? Well, that's the that's the contradiction. Is no, I don't. That's mm. the greatest thing I've done. Yeah. But then you're like, I mean, I'm I'm the same, and I I do think the military instrument was <laughs> weirdly used in a place like Afghanistan over that extended period. Mm. But even despite of that, and even even despite having gone through it's that, still worth it. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. That's, yeah. You've just ruined my argument. All right. <laughs> Although, yeah, full-scale world against China is a difference. <laughs> you know, yes. yeah. Objects may not appear as fun as... Yeah. Um, as fun as Hollywood. Yeah. So you've been no stranger to risk-taking, Mark. What about Harry? Do you allow him to take risks? Yeah, I think with... This is a tough one with kids. You, you've got to get them taking risks young so they, they do hurt themselves, they do get exposed to things in a way that's not going to... So when they're 21, they don't get a bigger set of car keys or they're 18, they don't go and take risks that are just silly. Especially for males. Like, we die at a much higher rate than than women do because of risk-taking behaviour. Mm. Um, the the risk assessment centres in our brains aren't fully formed till we're 25. Mm-hmm. So you've got you to get them through that dangerous period just with the best advice you, you, know, you can get. I mean, one of our co-authors in our publishing stable. Can we say that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Penn Macmillan author, uh, David Gillespie, wrote an amazing book, Teen Brain, which mm. talks to exactly that. Yeah. And some really interesting um, uh, kind of statistical analysis about young males and, and exactly that point. Brains aren't fully formed till they're about 25. Uh, they're doing things in a risky sense. But now with the advent of devices... They're doing them online, which is mm. stopping them from getting locked up for shoplifting or crashing yeah. cars, but is also getting them addicted to what he calls danger porn, you know, these, mm. these sort of risk-taking things in an online context, which arguably have other 
will definitely have other uh, consequences and dangers. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I like the Steve Bidolf rule of seven too. You know, he's um, in manhood, he talks about zero to seven, it's all about mum, you know, it's all about the yeah. nurture. Seven to 14, it's about dad, you know, that's mm. your time. But the critical part from 14 to 21, mm. where they're searching Mentors. for a mentor and, and you need to introduce the right people into their lives, otherwise they'll go find someone for themselves yep. and that mentor might not be a force. Some gang good. leader. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Some online jihadi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, we actually, we, um, we were talking helicopter parenting yesterday. Yeah, yep. You described yourself as a bit of a helicopter parent. Oh, look, pretty loosely. I, I don't think I'm that bad, but I, it, it is funny when you look generationally. I was talking mm. to someone at a function the other night. His father had been um, uh, alive in the Blitz, and, and his father used to talk about, you know, the bombs had come down, and then mum had sent this kid, who was 11 at the time, uh, off to see if Artie was all right. So, so he'd be running through <laughs> the bomb Dodging bombs. Yeah, yeah, shit's burning. And, you know, the Ambos and Winston Churchill's walking through the rubble. And, and fuck knows what mum's doing at this stage. I, I assume she's going to beat Having up a on, Yeah, that's right, yeah. She's keeping calm and carrying on. Well, you know, this 11-year-old. Doing, doing the running man. Doing the running man through, through yeah, like a video game post-apocalypse hellscape. And I've got an 11-year-old son. I'm not sending him out through to do a battle damage assessment. On, on, on Nana? Yeah, yeah, after the Messerschmitts have come through. Like. So, yeah, in that respect, yeah, fucking oath I'm a helicopter parent. Call me, call me a bad parent. Call me, yeah. yeah. Um, so I do, I, you know, I obviously say that jokingly, but look, I, I think collectively we're, we're a lot more cautious and, I do catch myself being hopefully protective, and, and that's what I mean by the, the helicopter statement. Yeah, yeah. I've just launched my middle child, eldest daughter, to London. Oh, she's been there oh, a couple yeah. of months now. Oh, no, Although, actually, photos, into, yeah. the, into the safe waiting hands of you know, one of our former colleagues. Yeah. So, nice soft landing. But I tell you what, even, even de-risking that, oh, it's difficult. Really difficult. I mean, she sees it. She loves it. She's fiercely independent. And we had a call for a birthday last night, which was awesome. But, oh, you just kind of want to, oh, just be careful if you're going to if you're yeah. gonna walk down the street, you know, there might be cars there. <laughs> what are some lift off of bombs? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Watch out for Winston. <laughs> You haven't lived until you've been locked into a bar and demanded reparations and payments of some sort at oh, the end dear. of the night. Has that, happened, has that happened to you? Oh, once or twice in Turkey. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Let's talk about Kill Capture, the business. Has Survivor and the book moved the needle on jacket sales? Yeah, and you've book, been doing some interesting stuff, actually, more widely than, than yeah. the Kill Capture jackets. Yeah, the book definitely did. The show hasn't yet but um i've kind of taken my foot off the gas since i was on the show i'm recovering from it so we're about to get back into it now and i was just down at the distillery looking at the um the next booze run we're going to make but i think you're doing that locally yeah with with whippersnapper distillery uh, one of our sponsors (laughs) i don't know can we yeah well actually they well i mean we've spoke to jimmy McEwen, the the master distiller yes cool job title <laughs> and, and a cool guy so yeah, yeah we'll, we'll link to the podcast with Jimmy because that is an awesome story and he's oh, an great. amazing guy it's great yeah. and he's now hired Ryan Wilson as his mm. GM um, and Ryan's yeah, an awesome force yeah. doing some stuff with RSL here as well and started the little veterans part of Whippersnappers mm. are supporting veterans yeah and they're not there's, there's not they're doing what a lot of people aren't willing to do it, especially in WA they don't have that there's a couple of whiskey distilleries out here, but not that many. So there, there are definitely uh, trailblazers. So is a Kill Capture whiskey coming? Kill Capture whiskey um, collaboration is coming out now. We're going to pull out the barrel in about a month. Ooh. Aged in American uh, bourbon, <laughs> okay, bourbon oak barrels. So nice. Nice. that'll come out. We're just going to finalise our, our liquor license and uh, yeah, get it get it sold. Are you applying the original costing model where each bottle costs you $150? $2,000 and I sell it for $500. What's the likely retail price? Because they do a fantastic whiskey and, in fact, you... We you actually don't know, but it'll be it'll be higher price because it'll be a, a gifting-type case with tumblers in it. So it'll mm. be like Pelican case, tumblers, cut foam, oh, like cool. the whole yeah, yeah. the whole box and dice. 
So yeah, it'll so be you'll definitely make a loss. <laughs> <It'll> be, exactly. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to go backwards on this one, but it's all part of the plan. <laughs> oh, well, we'll get our order in. Are you doing something cool like whip a snapper versus kill capture or buy yeah. a kill capture yeah, or collab? Whip a capture uh, or multiplied, something? yeah. Square. It's like a run DMC. It's like a run DMC label. Well, why why whiskey? Why do you want whiskey in the kill capture stable? Uh, it was more. I wanted like with kill capture. The whole idea was we'd have something that was a capsule kind of wardrobe for men that, that from that that style of branding that tough luxury style and whippersnapper were just easy to work with we always wanted to do whiskey because we thought it was a cool just a cool compliment yeah, to a leather luxury. jacket you know yeah. tough luxury and um just how easy it was to work with them ryan and, and that it was just super straightforward have it was you, easy have you got the the insert hip flask you know compatible mm. oh yeah well yeah that's a good point we'll have to uh we'll have to get the the hip, yeah, we'll have to get the hip flask going. The That's titanium hip, hip flask. Oh, yeah. It has to be bulletproof. Bulletproof. Absolutely, yeah. Straight Take to Ukraine. Take one for the team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Donation. Yeah. Strap it to the outside, <laughs> outside of your arm. Strap it so, so what are, I mean, we mentioned diversification under that tough luxury umbrella before. Mm. I'm seeing a very cool B1 watch oh, on your yeah. wrist. So so what are you running in the stable now? Um, so we've got... I tell you what I'm thinking about doing. I trialed that small online leadership course. I'm actually thinking about rolling the whole thing under Kill Capture. Mm. Yeah, and opening that as like a revenue stream as well and just trying to... The hard thing is is we make pretty average margins on the jackets we make in New York. But it's all the other all the other parts of it that I think will make a, a really great product and the accessories are better margin. So it's just a question of how you want to cut it and what your end goal is. Yeah. That's what we're trying to figure out. We'll again link to the um, Kill Capture brand and, and jackets in the show notes. I've, I've personally got a Kill Capture jacket, and it's a fucking nice thing. They work. Yeah, and I, it's funny because it's an expensive item of clothing. Um, it's a once-off lifetime yep. sort of <laughs> man. Well, it's know, not, it's, I mean, in, in defense of Kill Capture, it's not that expensive. Well, what I was going to say is, yeah, but I mean, it's not your, it's not your Zara, and I know you've, nah. you, you, you hate the fast fashion, that was why yeah, you started yeah. it, but it is a well-made, high-quality, all the components are great, hmm. and your, your point is, we, we've joked about this, but you're not making massive margins. It's not like a big nah. sort of Louis Vuitton-type markup. Um, it is a quality bit of kit, and you, you pay good money and get an outstanding product. Yeah. And it's it's the unit cost. I see it as dollars per wear. So you want to keep that as low as possible for mm. people. So you want something that's going to last forever and be a reasonable kind of price. So that's always what we're aiming for. And the ladies' version, ladies' version. Yeah, we've we've built that. Sammy got the early prototype of that and oh, wore it cool. on Survivor for one for one uh, jury session, which I survived. So good luck. <laughs> it's a good, good luck, luck jacket. Yeah. 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 yeah, pretty sure she didn't vote for me in that one. So that was good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll yeah we're gonna roll that out soon. Mm-hmm. No, and we'll link to all of that online courses. So you have released your online leadership and teamwork course. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, I wanted to. I did online courses when I was at McKinsey. I thought it was a great way to train people. We were selling these courses for bucket loads to companies, and I'd spent about three three months making them. And things have changed totally. The software now you can do it quite cheaply, um, and I. I'd always wanted to do one, so I filmed a bunch of video when I came back from Survivor, rolled out a small course with a tiny cohort just to test it, and it went. <clears throat> it was pretty straightforward, went went well, and um, yeah, I'll either keep doing that on its own or I'll roll it under Kill Capture and just keep building it out. Mm. You ever thought of <laughs> a running joke with Mark and I is the old Rex Quando out of um, Napoleon Dynamite, but yeah, online self-defense could be excellent. In fact, we should take some questions. Mark, you're a superhero. Congrats on Survivor from here in the United States. Oh, mate, thank you. I know um, they took Survivor off Paramount Plus, which is a massive disappointment because that's that's the whole US crowd. But um, there are rumours abound that they're going to do Australia versus the US in Survivor. Oh, showdown. That would be a cracker, wouldn't it? Mm. Okay, questions. Oh, they're going heavy. Morgan's asked, are you based in Australia now? Yeah, um, based out of Melbourne and in Perth at the moment, so it's my home state. What do you reckon is home? Where is home? 
oh, WA. I'm a sang- I'm <laughs> mad sand groper. Where the heart is. I've missed it. Yeah, it's yeah. good. It's what's a long way from anywhere, but what's prohibiting you from coming back and joining the dream team? Nothing. Nothing actually is prohibiting us. We have a place here too, so I've got no excuse now. You could become the third host of the Unforgiving Sixty yeah. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We've pretty much run out of guests. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, what about Fizz, mate? Like, so you you lost seventeen kilos. You've yeah. cut up for summer, um, ready for for swimsuit season. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. I was going to say you lost seventeen kilos, but Jesus. Um, but uh, yeah, what are you doing for for fitness at the moment? Uh, just starting to get back into it. Still doing CrossFit at Lilydale CrossFit uh, Lilydale Ranges, mm-hmm. and now down at the Mill Gym. Awesome. So a couple of shout outs there. That's that's all I'm doing. But yep. yeah, I'm gonna have to haul some metal soon because uh, it's a funny thing in Melbourne, man. It doesn't have the same. Because it's bloody freezing, it doesn't have the same lifestyle factor as you get in yeah. WA and Queensland. So that's my excuse for uh, for waking for the winter cut. Yeah, that's what I tell myself. Yeah. Now Heston asked that same question, but maybe uh, what your fitness re- regime was. But how did you prepare for Survivor? Did you have a physical regime? Because yeah. there's a lot of that stuff is pretty freaking hardcore. Yeah, or just plain painful. Yeah, it was funny on Survivor because I was huge, but I actually had a pretty good engine. Um, just concealed under, under under a wetsuit. But I was um, <laughs> what did we do? We did a really high level of general fitness. So we probably did three hours of like cross CrossFit heavy stuff each week. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it was personal. And then I didn't do a lot of skill stuff. Like I didn't do balance and throwing and all that sort of garbage. Well, I you feel don't like know what's coming up. Do you don't so know what's yeah, coming. Yeah, There's what no point. Doing? Like you've got what you got. And I think you just you're better off building general fitness. And don't try and offset your weaknesses too much. Just make sure your strengths are really big spikes, you know, and just ignore, ignore the rest, and you, you know. You don't know what's coming. <laughs> I didn't do puzzles, and I like when it showed when I got to the puzzles, so. What, what do people do? Do they do escape oh, rooms or people something? People do they? all sorts of weird shit. In preparation. And most of it's useless. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. If anything, I think the hardest bit is you've got to be clear about why you're doing the game. Because mm-hmm. if you're doing it to be a, a character and you want a career in TV, that's very different to if you want to actually go and win it. Whereas this time when I played, I'm like, I'm here to win it. So I didn't give a shit about what I looked like on te- like I didn't I didn't want to be buff. I didn't want, I wanted to be a dad, like a returning dad, mm-hmm. trustworthy, you know, not really military. Dad bod. Dad bod. <laughs> long hair. Couldn't couldn't yeah. get my hair cut in Melbourne because we had like um yeah. Lockdown. the lockdowns. Mate, so you look like, like you're it. putting product in that hair on Survivor. Yeah, it was... <laughs> I think it was just styled. The, the dust, mate, the urban dust. But um, so that was kind of how I went in. And I think that approach was good overall because people were like, oh, he came in as a hard ass last time. This time he's just a random dad. So <laughs> it worked well. A couple of questions and comments. Heston says, thanks for the audio reply. You're giving voice messages back to yeah, people. Yeah, I'm eh? getting a bit lazy with uh, texting. So I'm starting to use the audio function more, mm, sh- nice. showing my chops with. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I got one from you the other day. Strongly recommend it. Yeah. Just hit the button, chat away. Yeah. It feels even more personal. It's like it does. It's yeah, better. No, it's good. Yeah. Uh, Ryan says, what's your favorite whiskey? Ooh. Hang on. Is that Ryan from Whippersnapper? Well, it, did, it was <laughs> Ryan.Wilson1984. It sounds really? like it's Ryan Wilson from Whippersnapper. It could be a loaded bloody question. It is. Actually, mine is the, the Bulgarian oak that I just got given, which is totally out of circulation, but tasted like... The angels bloody dancing on your uh, on your tongue. It was pretty good. What, what about you, Timmy? Your favourite whiskey? Uh, I like the peaty stuff. You know, I do the Talisker oh, Ten. That's my probably dirt. my go-to off the shelf. Um, but what did we do the other day? A Dalwinnie. Um, no, I wasn't there. You you cleared out the wicked cabinet <laughs> <laughs> in my absence. I got ambushed by a guy who used to be a troop commander with me, and he came in for a beer. Who? Seven hours later, Dell. Oh, of course he did. Yeah, he came <laughs> in for a beer, out. and this is the smallest man ever to serve in the SAS regiment. <laughs> came in for a beer, and at the end of the night, there was no beer, and about two half empty bottles. Well, the other way around, two half full bottles of whiskey. <laughs> Look at him for the optimist. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this weird bloke called Alex Lloyd has just asked the question: What are you reading at the moment? Firstly, who's Alex Lloyd? Well, we just gave a shout out to Pan Mac. I hope Alex was listening, but he is our shared editor. Mm-hmm. True. Um, both we, need, we need some uh, some free books, I think. Oh, he's, he's 
no shortage. He's extremely generous with his time, his wisdom, his candor, and his books. Um, He's also the host of a much better podcast, (laughs) which has featured us at at various times, Life on the Line. Um, Yeah, if you like us, you'll love Alex's podcast, Life on the Line. Yeah, and actually I saw he's about to release uh, next episode this week or next on Life on the Line. Yeah. Yep. So to his question, what are you reading at the moment? Funny story. I actually was in a bookshop today and saw War and Peace. And I'm like, I have to read this at some point. Because, you know, it's like one of those things that... Quite long. Everyone talks (laughs) about. It's 1,200 pages. I'm like, I should actually read this at some point. It would be a great Mm. talking point, even though it'll take me three months to read it. Full disclosure... I haven't it, read It's it. not cool. <laughs> it's not cool. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, you, you, As a talking mind point. Mind you, Cormac McCarthy. Double, oh, yeah. Double header coming in October. Two books. New. New books. And I was really worried he was just going to fall off the perch without writing anything else. Yeah, but yeah. he's been busy, so. Mark and I have historically been big McCarthy fans. Oh, yeah. Grim, but good. Good. <laughs> Why well, and you know, shout out to Chris McKinnon at Dad Mod. Um, mm-hmm. We spoke at their inaugural mm-hmm. um, sort of live gig, and and Chris was kind enough to give me a copy of The Road, which I'd read just after Charlie, my daughter, oh, my first child was born. It's different as a parent, isn't it, mate? I was literally like, you know, I remember being up, like rocking her to sleep or feeding her, <sighs> reading The Road, and just crying. I oh. couldn't stop. Yeah. I was in a cold sweat reading that as a parent. <laughs> like, it was bad when I read it first time. It was even worse yeah. as a parent. Yeah. To the point where I, I've never seen the movie. I can't bring myself yeah. to watch the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, question on the Unforgiving 60 oh. podcast at Unforgiving 60 on Insta. What does that one say? Can someone turn their head sideways? <laughs> Damn, Shut up, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's daylight. It's daylight where we're all at. Yeah, so we're we're in Perth, Western Australia, as Mark said before. It is now just gusting quitting time on a Friday. 16 o'clock. Yeah, which is in the future for a lot of the US audience. But it's kind of nice that Daylight Savings finished on the East Coast to just bring us back one Mm. hour, Mm. one hour closer to them. The three Three hours time distance is difficult. Yeah. It's a shitty, it's it's worse jet lag, I reckon, than going to the UK. Like really? I, I can handle 12 hours much better than mm. I can handle that three. It just Are you guys on the East Coast quite a bit? Yeah, we're, mm. we're back. We're back. We're back, baby. We've been locked down. We've been in Fortress WA, obviously, as most Australians would know. Um, for for a long time, but yeah, now we, we're starting to travel again. And terrifyingly, I'm back in Townsville next week, oh, presenting wow. at a at a Workwell conference no way. on the topic of resilience. I haven't been back there for ever, ever. It's really? changed. I'm struggling to good. think when. Strand's cool. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I like the Ville. Soft spot. Yeah, the man yeah. Um, back to books. What what are you reading, Timmy? Uh, what am I reading at the moment? I've gone back to meditations. Yep, so I'm, I'm enjoying just re-leafing through that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been struggling on a few books. I won't mention them, but... Um, As in not enjoying it? Yeah, heavy. I, I probably yeah. went too neuroscience. <laughs> too deep. Too deep. <laughs> I went too, too Tolstoy. <laughs> too Tolstoy. You went full <laughs> Dostoyevsky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Conrad. I mean, on, on war can only take you so many places. Oh, you haven't, have you? No, I haven't. No I haven't read, done that. No I've, read Clausewitz. I, I thought that I might be smart because I wrote a book, so I thought, oh, I'll just go a bit highbrow on some neuroscience. Oh, no, it goes badly. And yeah. yeah, exactly. It's yeah. not. I tell you what, though, I'm not reading any fiction. Mm. And I think that could Get be missing. Fiction. Yeah. yeah, it's a massive yeah. fiction. Excellent. There's a lot of research fact, around it too. Around I just read Honeybee. Have you ever read that? Is it fiction? It's Craig a new Silver. one. Yeah, the answer is no. Yeah, I just told you I'm not reading any fiction. <laughs> Good. Have, have you read it? I've seen it advertised. I haven't read it. I think awesome. Pam Mac. Pam Mac. Oh, it, but yeah, it was a new one, right? Alex could probably correct us. Yeah, uh, relatively. Yeah. yeah, Craig Silver, another WA author. Wicked. WA guy? Yeah, yeah. Good on him. Yeah, free I bought. I bought Shuggy Bane, which is a award-winning uh, novel, a poverty out of Glasgow. That's kind of the crux of it, but yeah, right. couldn't get into it. Had trouble. What about Sapiens? Have you guys read Sapiens? Yeah, and mm. you know, I just in my little COVID break read um, uh, Homo Deus, the the follow up. So <laughs> you've been good. to Tenerife, have you? <laughs> I've, I've been, been to Eleven <laughs> I've read. I've been to Eleven I've read the sequel. <laughs> but yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. 
Um, I mean, I have a stack of books by my bedside table, none of which I seem to get through, including <laughs> the Roberts uh, Andrew Roberts Churchill um, biography, yeah, right. Walking mm. with Destiny, which is excellent, wow. but it's also about three feet thick. Oh, wow. It's incredible. Yeah, it's it's the authoritative, they say. I'll tell you, you one I just read, which is a totally random purchase, was um, about, I can't remember the title of the book. It's about something at the Pentagon, but it's about the uh, unidentified aerial phenomena reporting oh, right. coming out of the U.S. military. So I'm just like, declassed. Oh, my Lord. This stuff is, it's funny because it used to be a fringe topic, but now I'm reading it more. I'm like, no, no, this has been a, area of interest for many years are you a conspiracy theorist um <clears throat> no however most conspiracies are grounded in some form of truth which is the weird thing about them and i would never have said that well, do you reckon, like so the 9-11 attacks that that the cia planned those no some of those are a, a bit too left outlandish left. yeah but what they point to is these these um underhand operations that are run by mm-hmm. intelligence agencies to to and the reason they raise them is bec- is to avoid a third world war. They're mm. like, we we don't want this either peace or war. We want an in between option, and that's where they came from. And I think when people argue about these conspiracies, that's what they talk about. Um, They're to, like ill ill founded yeah. versions of that. Well, an extension on that question: Are you a believer in terms of UFOs? I don't look at it in terms of belief. I only look at factual reporting. So they go: These are the facts that came out of the battle group. This is what the radar operators saw. This is what the pilots saw. And that's the bits that I'm interested in. Because then you're like, their first-hand accounts that come from the pilots and the radar operators, they tell a certain story. But I try not to like then link that to some other conclusion that you yeah. can't... There's not enough information to say, all right, this is from Little Green Men. And you know, it's, it's not enough to, to do that. It's something else. And I think what that... I mean, the the fact that a lot of those have been released at once, I think there's an implied trend line between a lot of individual data points, which I think, in my opinion, each could be explained quite logically. Mm. The fact that they're all dumped on, people think, oh, well, there must be something, and the fact yep. that it's a government document, yep. well, it must be a conspiracy. I, I mean, my immediate you antidote give, to... It's too much credit to, to a government. <laughs> Mate, uh, exactly. Credit. My immediate antidote <laughs> to government conspiracies is having worked at... at the sort of more secret echelons of, of um, uh, the, the Five Eyes governments, we're not that good. <laughs> can't, can't do it. <laughs> you, can, you can't pull you can't that, that level of thing off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's the link to Hanlon's Razor, isn't it? What is exactly. Hanlon's Razor? Yeah, never, never uh, attribute to malice what can equally be explained by stupidity. Yeah. <laughs> Question from Luke. Uh, I have not read this book, so I'm going to throw to you guys, and I'm not sure whether... Um, it is have you read it or did you like it or do you agree with it? His question was <laughs> Chris <laughs> not read it. Uh, Chris Masters book question mark not read. Uh, no, no front line is that it? Uh, I think that's it. It was no like front, the, camp, I know the whole what he's campaign. Talking about. The, yeah, the the sort of tell all kind of thing. I thought you might have been interviewed for the book. Or, I refused. Okay. Um, so Chris, why, why reached, was that? <sighs> didn't feel right. Or? Yeah, it didn't feel right. I refused him. I refused. Um, what was the previous one? Who wrote um, the amazing SAS? Oh, uh, Anne McFedrin. 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 Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've just. I've, it's never felt right. Mm. Um, yeah, not not any sort of moral objection. Certainly nothing to hide. Ian McFedrin also wrote Soldiers Without Borders, which. Yeah. I was oh, interviewed Timmy. for. Yeah, There's yeah. a chapter on me, and I thought actually. Oh, no, I remember seeing um, photo. There was a photo of you too. Good one. The, the, like uh, the pop. <laughs> Skip a seat at the pop. You might have seen it before. It pix- <laughs> might not be me, the dude. Wearing balaclava. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, no disrespect to Ian McFedrin, but I thought the book could have been done much better. The concept's great. So, what are former SAS guys doing now? Oh, yeah. You know, what's their life through uniform brought them to? By better, do you mean more about you? <laughs> chapter, my chapter could have been much longer. <laughs> and, and on the cover, and the only. <laughs> but it's an interesting concept. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we often, there's a lot of people. It's such that, a funny thing, the relationship with journalism and our, in the special forces world, isn't it? Oh, particularly a, now, we're, yep. seeing, mm. we're seeing a lot yep. of negative reporting. Mm. And okay, that's the right of journalists to, to voice that. Mm. But often what, what gets missed, and you know, you saw me talk about this the other day, is the context. They just write an article without understanding 
contrast, context, yeah. mm. and I'd argue in you know complex environments, the, the context is actually critically important. Yeah. Actually, the context sometimes deal. is nearly impossible to explain. But that's why I've done articles and op-eds is like this is that those little chunks of information that people are like oh we didn't know that because most people from that world don't offer that context that's that's an important part of the discussion so mm, mm. well we are taking questions on at mark dot a whale mark dot a dot whales what's the a stand for a for adam adam Pretty have you seen cool the Adam mate. Project <laughs> have you yeah, seen the Adam yeah, Project have, yeah good good little movie easy to watch no check not. it out Mark Adam Wales. It's <laughs> a super, yeah, pretty boring middle name. Would have preferred Harley or something like that, but that's all right. Forgive my parents here. Lock. Yeah, that's pretty that's, cool. That's, that's a, a very that's solid call. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what about music, mate? You're getting into any um, anything new or rediscovering anything old these days? Yeah, you know what? I built a running playlist. Oh, cool. Ooh. And I like, I added some classics that I'd listened to recently, but also some newer stuff. So like, some newer stuff from the Killers that they just released in their last album. Mm-hmm. Bought the Foo Fighters back after Taylor Hawkins died. Yep. What a, what a, oh, that was a tragedy. I've never been upset about an artist dying until that right. happened. Right. Yeah. Because I feel like we kind of grew up with, with them in particular. And everyone makes fun of the Foo Fighters, but I, I, I love them. Um, who else? They're probably the top few. Nothing, nothing too crazy. Any change to your power song? Oh, you can't go past Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, that's what you had last time. I've been, so, consistent. I've been chucking a bunch of rage on um oh, on my running it's old playlist. And yeah, yeah, Gorilla like, Radio. I've, oh, I'd never discovered Millennium Homes. <laughs> yeah, oh, great. Jeeva? Yep. What was that song that's now on the Unforgiven uh, Sixty playlist? Madness. Jeez, that yeah. was a ripper. Sounds of Madness. Shine Down. Uh, Shine Down. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's going straight into the podcast. Oh, it's it, it's a cracker. It's a good running song. I tried to put a soundbite into the previous episode where we were talking with yep. Nick Nevin about what is your power song, yep. and apparently you said that now we could get sued. Mate, I yeah, well you <laughs> no, <laughs> apparently that's a thing. I'm I'm not scared of Shine Down, but you put some Guns and Roses in, mate. Axel Rose, he'll come for you. Full disclosure, does not listen to the Unforgiving Sixty podcast, but that dude is litigious AF. There is no way your little Welcome to the Jungle excerpt wouldn't have gone, buddy. But you know that'll that'll uh, increase your your listenership by a long way if you can do a oh, yeah, litigation yeah. battle. Yeah, which is great. Well, <laughs> while we're in jail. <laughs> well, in the meantime, we'll have to accept the very generous um, offer from the externals for yeah. their royalty-free music. Yep. Ben Freeshow, a good friend of ours, who's yep. done a couple of pieces for us on the theme of resilience, which yep. has been cool. Nick Carley. Yes. Also given us some access to tracks. Yep, Mitch Martin. Mitchell Martin, uh, amazing young local mm. talent yep. who's pretty much opened his uh, his albums for our use. And, you know, for our listeners' pleasure, I often chuck <laughs> some, <laughs> own numbers. some of my own little numbers. <laughs> were you asking the question on what you were not good at? Yeah. Well, did I ever tell you, do you want to hear about Little Bird, that song? Have I told this story? Uh, no, but I'm looking forward to inserting it Right now. Yeah, this song. Recorded in Tikrit in Iraq. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. And it was a song I was on exchange with an American unit, and it was inspired by some helicopter gunship support we had uh, coming back from a mission. Yeah, well, what's it about? <laughs> it's the song Little Bird. Yeah, yeah. Well, where, I mean, where the chorus is, Little Bird, take me home. Take me home, yeah. <laughs> it is about that warm feeling you get in the, the bottom of your heart when you've got some badass helicopter gunship support when coming home from a, a gun. I have to admit, sitting on the skids of a little bit, oh. that's a box that would be worth 
it to you. I, I did that once in that, that same profile and, and flying down the, the Tigris River, mm. like onto Palm a target. Trees. And literally landing, I reckon, less than two metres away from the guy we were trying to apprehend. And he's just like this dirt farmer at night. Even he's like, what the fuck? And that's then, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I took two steps and, and yeah, um, we apprehended him. It was pretty cool. That's was, pretty cool. But it was also, I mean, you could see as you flew down, people flashing lights and warning wow. you know, down the down the, the river as, as you were approaching. One of my mates I went to business school with was a little bird pilot. Oh, so yeah. Um, yeah. Miguel Gastelum and, uh, yeah, we were classmates. Yeah. 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 Uh, 160th. Yeah, yeah really cool stories. Yeah. But, but this song, so I'd, I'd written while we were on that deployment, and we shared a base in... Um, Tikrit, which was Saddam's hometown. We were living in one of Saddam's old palaces. Uh, but the wider base that we were on was a 1st Infantry Division footprint. Massive American, you know, setup. And they had a band deployed. <laughs> Never go to war <laughs> without, without the one ID band. <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. Tell the truth. You were actually on exchange to the band. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was the percussionist. And you, and you saw a <laughs> little bird. I saw a helicopter, which someone later explained was a little bird. I got a fever. And I got expired. I got a fever for some cowbell. And in fact, it's funny you mentioned that. So we, I recorded this with the One ID band. And um, the outro to Little Bird, which you've probably just heard or will heard, uh, will hear, um, contains a lot of cowbell because we had a fever. <laughs> Cowbell was played by our JTAC, um, (laughs) Little Mike, who was an absolute hitter from the um, a a very high tier. Little Mike, yeah, it's always a Mike. Um, Tactics of a different type. Can we take a question from Alia? Uh, Why play your first idol on Survivor? Is her question, or their question? First idol was a good play because my name was up, and I did actually a little bit of tradecraft with Christy. I'm like, all right. My name's up. Chrissy was my like tight buddy in in the other uh, in the later part of the game. If you hear my name, put your white sandals on my uh, backpack. If I come back, great. I know my name's up. Just play Ooh, my idol. Yeah, a little yeah. dead letter box. Easy. The little, dead letter little, box. DLB. Little DLB. I don't, I don't even need to talk to you. Like just whatever. I saw a group of people chatting. I'm like, I bet they're talking about me. Came back from fishing. Sure enough, white sandals are on the bag. Play my idol that night. I think I'd held that sucker for three weeks. Mm. Anyway, that night my name was up, um, so I dodged getting voted out. Second idol I played wasn't my name wasn't up, so yeah, that was a waste. Wasted idol. Yeah, false idol. False idol. <laughs> How many challenges did you win? Um, I won two immunities, like personally, mm-hmm. and then our side, like we won tons in the in the team ones. We won. Fair few. Yeah. Do, you, do you look at an immunity and think, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just tank in oh, this. This is not me." And you look at others going, "Yeah, I'm up for this." There were so many. I was like, "I'll stand here to hold, like, to not look like an idiot. I'll try. I'll wait for a couple of people to go out, and then I'll be out because you don't have the energy to spare. And you know, when you're not going to win, like, yeah. don't fight the battle. Is that in itself a little tactic? That, yeah, you know, you you go and I'm there. Don't try elevate your threat profile. Yeah. Like if you, if you get second in a challenge. It's the worst possible result. Yeah, because you haven't won. Because you haven't won immunity, yourself, you've gassed yourself, and, you've and you're a high threat. On the back so of why do it? Capture. On yeah. your, why do it? Yeah. I just like bow out like a loser. You say the target on the back of the kill. <laughs> on the back of the kill. Cap, you've just painted a big old cross here next to your white. Well, samples. actually, last time we talked about the kill capture hatchet or Bowie knife. Oh, knife. Yeah, from um, oh, one of the instructors uh, that I had who was a guy from 2002, Ross Jones, mm. knife maker. Yeah, so he's going to do a batch for um, us at some point, and we'll, we'll sell them off. Mm. Very cool. Straight blades. More tough luxury. Yeah. yeah. And what about all those little bonus parts of Survivor where you go and I don't know, eat pizza or oh, have a night away? Oh, yeah, the rewards. They're pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, if you, win, if you win a reward challenge, you get to take a few mates, go eat some pizza. Um, I got taken on the KFC reward. That was pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) 
I you, go on a you KFC would. reward every day when I'm back home. But <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> you must have been rewarding yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you would have lost 25 kilos, exactly. but you only lost 17 because you went exactly. on a KFC reward. I had a KFC, we are open to sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're good though. But when you go on one, you've got to keep your eyes open because there's always like a reward line around that can help you find an idol. So everyone's watching your mate to make sure that if they find a scroll or something like that, you know to follow them when you get back to camp. Yeah. Mm. yeah. What's next? Um, so, I don't, actually don't know. We've had such a busy six months. We're like, we're going to relax for a bit and just chill. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's been full on. So, yeah, we're just going to take it easy. But definitely giving uh, Kill Capture a good push. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll have to get a joint event going on the, mm. on the East Coast at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. We yeah. got some we got some ideas we want to talk to you about. Yep. Oh, yep. We need to fund that with ticket sales. Big night out. <laughs> <I reckon laughs> double headache. Yeah. Might just well, make enough money to get some cask wine. Apparently, we've got some free whiskey. Yeah. KK. Out of the oh, kill, capture, be, be kill un- capture barrel. Uncasking the, the keg. Yeah. What's left at the bottom of the keg must be ours. Yeah. No, I like it. Well, listen, mate, it is always a pleasure. I thought it was three times. The ob- obviously, the first time <laughs> yeah. felt, felt like two eppies, but it's great to have you back, mate, and, and yeah. particularly good to see you back over here in WA. Mate, good to be back. Thanks for having me in the, in the new dojo. It's fucking <laughs> awesome. <laughs> no, I love it. And thank you to everyone and anyone who, who sort of listened in on the, the uh, Instagram Live. Very much appreciate your time and hope you enjoyed it. Thanks, Mark. See you all later. Now to the debrief. We try to go always a little further in this podcast and greatly appreciate your input. Please let us know your feedback, the good, the bad, or the ugly. Also, if you know someone who is living a life less ordinary, we'd love to hear about them. You can get in touch at debrief at unforgiving60.com. That's debrief at unforgiving60.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and write a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Until next episode, keep filling your unforgiving minutes with 60 seconds worth of distance run. See you next time on The Unforgiving 60. Bedroom.